global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, for what science has revealed to us. From these, these writers from in the past that seem to have some insight, may, may we learn, may we humble ourselves. May we learn predominantly from your word. And as we look at the, the studies of what they are showing, help us to have the confidence to share this with those who don't know. Lord, we've gotten ourselves into some trouble in this area of media and entertainment. We've damaged our minds and we didn't even know what we were doing. But now we do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to feel a need to share this information. Lord, we know that if we don't warn a wicked man from his ways, that we are partakers of the very sin that he is engaged in. Lord, give us courage to take a stand in our lives, to do what's most healthy and right and reasonable, so that we might bring glory to your name and save many souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is Todd Gardner, executive producer for the show. If you've been a regular listener to our broadcast, then you already know that our host for these broadcasts has been traveling all over the United States this winter speaking. I'd ask that you pray for Scott. Pray for his physical strength and courage and for health as he continues with his grueling schedule of sharing with people face-to-face through the speaking engagements nationwide, as well as maintaining this daily broadcast. You've already heard Scott speak passionately about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people about how the entertainment industry and even our excessive relationships with our cell phones are reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's podcast and radio broadcast. And with that, we turn it over to you, Scott. Think about everything we've covered in the first portion of this session. Have we said anything about the moral content of the films we're watching in the movies and TV? No. These things affect the brain regardless of the moral content or immoral content of what we're watching. It's just the sheer form of media itself. The, the, the flashing of the television, the frequent scene changes, the, the limbic system enhancing, frontal lobe suppressing effects of this media that actually has these effects. But that doesn't mean morality isn't an issue. I think when we look at the content, it's going to take it to a whole new level of scary. Think about these statistics. The average child by the age of 18 is watching 200,000 acts of of violence. The average child by the age of 18 has watched 6,588 beer commercials. And you wonder why children's chances of becoming alcoholics later in life goes up the more TV they watch. Think about that. And by the way, these days we have DVR, right? We can skip through the commercials. People say, oh, I'm not advertised to like that. Stick around for session two. You'll see more about advertising. It's a lot deeper than you think. But for right now, I want to point out one fact about advertising. They are advertising to you in the show. It's not just during the break. That's when you know you're being advertised to. But during 2009 alone, there were 316,239 Occasions where an alcohol product was placed into the program and advertised to you while the show was going on. And that was just during prime time. So this, it's, it's constantly happening. You're constantly being advertised to when you're watching television. 
Between the ages of 8 and 18, children are watching 13,250 hours of programming that contains sexual content. These sexual references and C's are showing up an average of once every 10 minutes. So I did a little math. That's 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature. This is very serious. And what they did was they, the latest research they've found is 14,000 scenes of a sexual nature per year. They actually did a study taking a look at what was the uh, worldview presented in these scenes of, of whether it was content where they were actually viewing things or just being discussed verbally in the show. It didn't matter. 99% of all of these scenes had nothing to do with abstinence, self-control, values that you would value. Very, very sad what's coming out in the media. Now, if you take a look at Antonio Damasio, he's a neurological brain expert at the University of Iowa, and he talked about violence in the media, and here's what he had to say. Media events register faster and faster, and you're not even given time to let them sink in. No matter how terrifying, images are shown so briefly that we have not time to sense emotionally the horror of a particular event. We're supposed to sense emotionally that, that this is just terrible, this is, this is wicked, this is harmful, this is tragic. You're supposed to let that sink in. God designed us that way. But it's happening so fast, he says, you don't have time. The image of an event or a person can appear in a flash, but it takes seconds to make an emotional marking, which means, since you're not getting that emotional marking, this means that you could potentially become ethically less grounded. You'd be in an emotionally neutral world. They, meaning young people, can be told about good and evil, but good and evil might not stick. That's a serious warning from a secular scholar. Going on, we'll also see, and this is also in, in the news, you get a lot of imagery thrown at you of a negative, depressing, violent you know, bloodshed and war and, and all of the negative news we watch. And they did a, sto a study where they looked at people who viewed only 14 minutes of negative news per day and they increased their stress hormones, which impairs memory. We're going to talk more about stress hormones later. Increased worrisome thought, increased anxiety, increased sad mood, and increased personal catastrophe where oh, the big events, the events in my life are so big and they are catastrophes. They're so terrible. And I should mention as a side note, as a former political science guy, I used to teach history, political science, economics. When it comes to news, you can't necessarily trust everything you're seeing on the news anyway. That's the most mild statement of the entire seminar. So I have to mention that when it comes to news because we often get these sacred cows, right? We say, well, you know, I probably shouldn't be watching what Hollywood is putting out. That's, I know, pretty immoral. Then we sit there and watch the news for, uh, for hours and, and, and we, as if that's not going to have an effect on us. Well, the studies are showing that it actually does. And interestingly, when people read the news in this study, when they read the news, instead of watching it on TV with these images being bombarded into their mind, they didn't have any of these negative effects, the, the increased sad mood, anxiety, and so on. So reading the news did not have any negative effects. It was only watching it that did. Very interesting. Continuing on, I, got, I love telling the story of the scientists and the monkey. This happened in Italy. And these Italian scientists were taking a look at what's going on inside a monkey's brain when he's eating peanuts. And they're recording it. They've got the little scan on. They've got it on the screen. It's making the little noises. Oh, very interesting. Okay. So they learned some things about what happens in the monkey's brain when he's eating peanuts. Well, then they learned something even more that they didn't intend to learn. They took a break and removed the peanuts from in front of the monkey, and the peanuts were set over to the side. Okay? They were on lunch break. Scientists are eating. One of them starts eating some peanuts. What does the monkey, does anybody have a dog? What does a monkey, what does an animal do when you're eating? He watches you, right? He's just like, oh, 
Okay, so now they're looking at the monkey's brain while he's not eating peanuts, but what? Watching peanuts being eaten. And one of the scientists is taking a look at the screen that's recording the monkey's brain, and he goes, hmm, this looks familiar. I've seen this before. Bring up the old scan of the monkey's brain while he was eating the peanuts. They brought the two scans up, and the monkey's brain was identical. It was a carbon copy. In other words, what they learned is that what we see with our eyes, our brain interprets it as if we are doing it ourselves, not merely seeing it. The monkey's brain while eating peanuts looked exactly the same as the monkey's brain while watching peanuts being eaten. They called it mirror neurons. Mirror neurons. And because it was an exact mirror of what it looks like when you're doing the activity. Now, if you think about this, 300,000 scenes of violence, 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature that we've watched, but not just watched. In some way, these things that we watch become a part of us. And the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And we're doing the opposite, and it's going to take its toll on us. And this is why, because we're watching these things, they become a part of us spiritually, psychologically, literally, neurologically, they become a part of us. This is why television viewing and watching violence increases aggressive behavior, increases aggressive thoughts, increases angry feelings, reduces empathy, that means compassion for other people, feeling their feelings. And it it resulted in fewer helping behaviors in studies. And also on the issue of of viewing sexual material, more TV viewing increases sexual promiscuity, increases the use of of substances, and lowers levels of commitment because you don't see exactly on TV the characters committed to a life of growing in the Lord. And you do see every form of immorality being glorified. I should mention right now, Based on what you know about how theatrical style entertainment affects the brain, would it be wise or unwise to dive into theatrical style entertainment, television and movies that has a Christian or moral message? Uh, That would still be unhealthy regardless of the moral nature of the material. Um, Now, whether you watch one every now and then is not, you know, I'll leave that up to the conscience of the viewer as led by God. But I was shown this as a part of my teacher training at a Christian school a few years ago. This man here with the top hat from the 19th century. He gets into a time machine, goes from the 1890s to 2008 or 9, whenever the film was made. He goes to a church in our time, a big mega church, and and he sits down and he starts talking to people from the church about what kinds of outreach activities that they have. How can we bless the community, share the gospel, bring the, 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 the Great Commission to the world? And he's told, well, we have a movie night and a bowling night. You can come, come bowling with us, with the men's group. And you know, all of these things, he, he's kind of confused. But what about sharing the gospel? Uh, what's a movie? Well, anyway, he goes to the movie. Within just minutes of him sitting there watching this film, he sees on the screen something that absolutely shocks and horrifies him. He runs out of, the, out of the theater to the concession stand and he starts shouting, Stop the movie! Stop the movie! The man on the screen just took the Lord's name in vain! He was shocked by it. And I wonder, why am I not? When I'm watching all of this stuff and I see that, I'm just, well, it's just, you know, used to it. It's no big deal. Well, then he goes to one of the members of the church's house and he sees a child watching TV and the child is about to watch a kissing scene 
happen on, on the TV. And the man from the 1890s just looks at that and he jumps in front of the TV and he shouts at the parents and he says, how could you let your child watch a married couple about to kiss? And the kid sitting there goes, dude, they're not married. Now he's livid. They're not married. Actually, I was challenged by a friend on this very topic who said, you're watching things. You're watching movies where two actors who are not married, or maybe they are, but not to each other, come together and kiss like this, and you're supporting it, and you're watching it, and you're paying for it. That hit me. That, that hit home right there. And I'll tell you, I had to ask myself when I was confronted with some of this information, why am I not running from this like this man in the 1890s, like Joseph who ran from Potiphar's wife? Why am I not running from this and saying, no, I need to guard the avenues of my soul. This is an automatic no if it has anything like that in it. These actors, they're not married. Why would I support that? In fact, the story of the Amish kid really brings the illustration home. You know, the Amish don't have television, obviously. And this kid was raised without TV. This is a true story. He was raised without TV. He leaves the Amish community for a time and experiences the world. And he goes and he watches his first Western movie. Now, those of you who've seen Western movies, compared to today, more or less violent than today's movies. Obviously, we're looking at a bit less violent. I think kids today, if they were to watch that, they would laugh at it. They would say, oh, that's so fake, there's no blood. Well, this Amish kid didn't laugh. This Amish kid saw somebody shot in the Western film. And he turned pale. And he ran out of the house and he threw up. And we say, what a, what a weirdo. No, we're the weird ones. We're like the frog in the pot. The, the heat was turned on real low at first. We were raised with Looney Tunes or whatever. Just innocuous, just silly stuff. And then it gets a little more violent, a little more inappropriate, a little more immoral, a little more worldly, a little more of Satan's principles. And we're just, ah, it's no big deal. Don't be so strict. Don't be like one of those people. But the Amish kid was thrown into the boiling water and he jumped out and he said, that's not entertainment. What are you guys thinking? He had the accurate read on how the human mind is supposed to respond to these things. But we love it. We're having a good old time. And I have. I'm the first to acknowledge that. But the Bible said something very strong to me. My loving Heavenly Father said something very strong to me. This is, this is straight testimony that the Lord gave to me. And it goes like this. If you love the world, that means worldly things. The love of the Father is not in them. You can't love me, God says, if you love these things. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. Did you know that heavily rhythmic music, which is basically all popular music today, can actually alter your state of consciousness? Musician William Ora explains, quote, We had discovered something that people knew eons ago, that polyrhythms can be used for hypnotic induction, for altered states of consciousness, even for soul travel. And drummer and percussion scholar Mickey Hart agrees. Everywhere you look around the world, he says, people are using drums to alter consciousness. I have discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence the human mind and body. 
And Jimi Hendrix said, We make our music so loose and hard-hitting that it hits your soul hard enough to make it open. Get informed, folks. Truth is stranger than fiction. Google the words Media on the Brain to learn more. Listen to this quote from the 1913 Rockefeller Education Board, the ones who funded our present public school system. In our dreams, we have limitless resources, and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hands. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or men of science. We have not to raise up from among them authors, editors, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for embryo great artists, painters, musicians, nor lawyers, doctors, preachers, politicians, statesmen, of whom we have ample supply. Folks, school as we know it was designed to produce a subservient, compliant, unthinking mass mind. Learn more in the two-DVD set called Schooled. Available upon donation at 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Now, I've shared a lot of bad news with you about media so far. But I have to say, it's good to receive bad news. If you're up in your upper room of your house, the second floor, and you're enjoying a nice warm bed on a cool night, and your house starts on fire, and you just stay sleeping. Ah, it's nice and warm up here. If somebody bursts into your bedroom, blasts down the door, and starts shaking you and saying, hey, your house is on fire, this is good that they have done that. Or a smoker is shown what his lung actually looks like. Sometimes we have to come face to face with the horror of what we have been involved with, and that feels like bad news, but I want to repeat, it's good to receive bad news. But I also want to give you some good news. Dr. Newberg did a study on religion and the brain, several studies. And he wasn't coming at this from a religious angle. He's coming from a scientific, atheistic point of view. But what he found was he he took subjects of a study and had them think about a God of love for 12 minutes a day, every day, for 30 days. Only 12 minutes a day, 30 days straight. He looked at their brain before the 30 days began, and then he looked at their brain after the 30 days began, and took a look at how their brain functioned differently after thinking about a God of love every day for 30 days. Here's what he found. The area of the frontal lobe associated with empathy and altruism grew measurably. This is called the anterior cingulate cortex. It's a very important area of the frontal lobe. It actually grew So just by thinking about a God of love, we become more loving. So by beholding, we become changed, as it has been said. Also, he found that contemplating God has shown to reduce stress, lower anxiety and depression, enhance social awareness and empathy, and improve cognitive functions. That that means it makes you smarter, improve cognitive functions. 
Now, very interestingly, contemplating a loving God rather than a punitive God, that's an important point, reduces anxiety, depression, and stress while increasing feelings of security, compassion, and love. But the anger and prejudice generated by extreme beliefs can damage the brain. This is a periodical from the 1800s. This is from a a periodical called the Review and Herald. And I find this fascinating, what they knew way back then. It says, There is nothing more calculated to energize the mind and strengthen the intellect than the study of the Word of God. Strengthen the what? The intellect. We just read the science showed it makes you smarter. Here we knew this long ago. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties, as the broad ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. A nobility of character. Studying the word of God, the truth of God, actually changes your character. And the science has shown it. In fact, you could share that with your atheist friend. You could say, you know what Dr. Newberg found? Just think about a God of love. Just think about Jesus. Jesus is loving. Everybody would agree with that. Just think about Jesus for 12 minutes a day every day for 30 days and you will be more the kind of person that you want to be. Most atheists would say, yeah, I want to be more humanitarian and altruistic and all of these things. This would work even for an atheist. How much more powerful then for those of us who know it is a true and living God that is, has, the Holy Spirit is working in us to transform our minds. Powerful, powerful information. And the Bible also talked about this long ago. 1 John 3, 1-2 says that when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, As we behold, as in a mirror, the glory of God, that means the character of God, we are transformed from glory to glory into the same image. But the opposite is also true. It says in Hosea 9, verse 10, When they came, when the Israelites came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. So whatever it is that we behold, we will become more like. It's a biblical principle. It's a scientific principle. Now, the subtitle of this session, as we wrap it up, is TV, the brain, and the science of salvation. I want to spend a minute just talking about salvation because many will hear a message like this and they'll say, you're just talking about our behavior. You're talking about our, our, our choices in life and, and that's legalistic. All I need to think about is that I'm forgiven of my sins and it doesn't really matter what I do with my lifestyle as long as I have confessed my sins to God and I'm, I'm saved. And it doesn't really matter how I live then. But we need to do some theology 101. I want to start with this. If you ask my students, what is Mr. Ritzema all about? What is his main thing? What does he love to just just really have this as the central theme of everything he teaches? They would tell you it is God's character. It is the, the truth about God's love as seen in Jesus, the centrality of the cross and the love of God. But as I was sharing this message about the love of God with my students evangelistically before public meetings, etc., I was a little bit discouraged, frankly, by the lack of response on the part of people receiving this message. I was puzzled why people weren't just blown away by the truth of God's love as I was. The reason that I am on fire for Christianity today, for sharing the truth of God's word today, is because of who God is, as I've learned in recent years. And I wanted to share that message, and I I was pumped up about it, but there was kind of this eh response, like, yeah, okay, gotcha, cool, God is love, moving on. 
And I'm going, moving on, no, this should change everything for us. Well, a study at the University of Oregon helped me understand this. They took students in two different groups and looked at their propensity to cheat on tests. They took students who had an angry, vengeful picture of God in their mind, and they took students who viewed God as more of a loving, heavenly Father who was forgiving and filled with grace and truth and love and mercy. And they, they separated the students into these two different groups, students with an angry God, students with a loving God. Oh, by the way, those aren't mutually exclusive necessarily because God is very angry at sin. God absolutely hates sin. And that is, that, so there is an angry side to God. But he, while he hates sin, he loves the sinner even more than death to the point where he would sacrifice his life for them. So don't forget that. But just to oversimplify, you have students who view God as this angry, vengeful being and who view God as a loving being. Now, I was absolutely shocked by the results of this study. Students with the loving God concept in their mind were the ones that cheated more on tests. I, I, was, I, I was rocked by this. I, I was going, wait a minute, did I get this wrong? Is God not as loving as I thought? It seems like the kids with the false picture of God have, have a more moral life than the kids with the, the correct picture of God. Why is this? I preached a sermon a little while back called Sin Really Is Bad. I believe that what these kids had wrong, these students had the correct picture of God, but they had the wrong conception of something else, and that is sin. They had the view that the only thing that's bad about sin is that it gets me in some trouble with God, some legal trouble, and He has to grant merely a legal pardon to let, set me free from that, and then that's it. Case closed, I'm saved. Sin never did anything to me. Sin never damaged me. Sin never actually harmed me. It just made God mad. And since He's so loving, He offers forgiveness so freely, and now I'm off the hook. Now, is God loving and offers forgiveness freely? Absolutely. He, he is the most forgiving being imaginable. But sin is more than just that. The Bible talks about sin in this way. The wages of sin is death. He who sows to the sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. The Bible talks about sin as something that is actually bad. It harms us. It transforms us into a more debased image and destroys us. Sin really is bad. In fact, Jesus talked about sin as a disease. He said, I came as a doctor for the sick, not the healthy. In other words, he says, I came to call sinners to repentance. So the sinners are the sick ones. We are sick with this disease. Imagine it kind of like a cancer eating out your spiritual health. Isaiah 1 talks about it as if the whole head is sick from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. I'm just sick with sin. So if sin is like a disease destroying us. What is salvation? What is salvation? Well, the Greek word for salvation, sozo, means healing. In fact, when Jesus would heal somebody in his ministry, the Greek word used there is the same word used in the New Testament for salvation. The word that we get from Revelation 3 verse 18 says, put eye salve on your eyes. That means a healing balm, healing salve. Salve is the root for the word salvation. Many Bible texts refer to salvation being something that happens to me, to transform me. Our text for this message, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have the mind of Christ. You see, salvation is something that happens in me and to me. It transforms me. Where is the seal of God placed? It is in the mind. Where is the law of God written? It is in the mind. 
The transformation of our minds is the salvation experience or the circumcision of the heart, if you will, or the, a new heart and a right spirit being given to me. Or, as Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now that's salvation right there. A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In fact, in the last days, Revelation 12 talks about a group of people who have overcome. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their own lives so much as to shrink from death. A group of people in the last days will be saved, transformed by the renewing of their minds. We will receive forgiveness from God. That legal aspect is important, but it is not the only thing. God wants to go beyond that to literally change us, so that we can stand with white robes and sing the new song, the song of the Lamb. I want to close with a quotation from another Christian periodical from the year 1900. It says, Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God, to so engross and absorb the mind that God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received, listen to this, has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God. And if he, Satan, can set in operation theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that the human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all around them. He is well pleased. That's from over a hundred years ago. Somehow they had some insight that theatrical performances, theatrical style entertainment, television that we've been talking about is going to confuse the mind. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, that's who can stand in the consuming fire. 